When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Maggie Lake. Before we get started, we just want to remind everyone, if you still have a few people left on your gift list and have no idea what to get them, you missed the shipping deadline. The team here has made it super easy to give a Real Vision membership. Just go to our website, www.realvision.com forward slash give a gift. Your person will thank you all year long. All right. Now onto the show. Is it time to kiss the year-end rally goodbye or hopes of a year-end rally goodbye? Here to walk us through the outlook for stocks and a whole lot more is Katie Stockton, founder and managing partner of Fairlead Strategies. Hi, Katie. Hi, Maggie. How are you? Good, good. It's great to see you. So um, perfect timing for this Monday. You know, we know volumes are low. We've got the Fed meeting in the rearview mirror, some major economic releases out of the way. So we thought it would be a really good opportunity to sit down with you and sort of go through and look at what the charts are saying, because a lot of people are trying to try to figure out how to position um, you know, as we turn into the new year and maybe just survive these last days of December. So we're going to walk through a, a couple different asset classes. If you have a question for Katie, you know what to do. Drop it in the comments on our website. You can put it in a YouTube chat or you can tweet us at Real Vision. So let's start with stocks because, um, you know, everyone we know seasonally, usually stocks do pretty well with the Santa Claus rally. Everyone's always looking for it. And December is really been disappointing. I mean, we, you know, we saw selling pressure again today, uh, that the month of December on a whole has been horrible. I mean, we down almost a percent, uh, on the S and P NASDAQ down one and a half percent. And I think that the Dow and uh, S and P are on track for, you know, losses of maybe over 5% at this point for December. So what are you seeing? Are we going to get any kind of reprieve here or rally at the end of the year in the 11th hour? Or is the path of least resistance lower when it comes to the S&P 500? I think the answer is both. Um, so we do have a short-term oversold reading. And if I can share my charts here just for a moment, I think that the charts speak louder than I can uh, because they really show exactly what we're trying to express here. So hold on here. If I can get this to work. You see the screen? Uh, not yet. I don't think it might take a minute as it pops into the system. Okay. Um, it was sharing our window. Regardless, you know the S and P five hundred is short term oversold after this pullback, and yet the downside momentum has really accelerated. So the MACDs are pointing lower. That's our our preferred momentum gauge. That's on the daily chart, so it's a short-term takeaway, and that presents a challenge, of course, as we get into this kind of Santa Claus rally hope. The Santa Claus rally is a phenomenon that happens in the last five trading days of the year and the first two of the new year, so it'd be from this Friday, the 23rd of December, 
to the 3rd of January or 4th of January, actually. And so that that phenomenon, listen, I would never rely on seasonals, but I would certainly let them inform my biases. First and foremost, I would always go to the technical indicators. And because momentum is to the downside, I think we trust that any effect of that kind of seasonal influence will be muted. I do suspect that we won't see too much downside until we get into January from current levels, at least. And I say that not because there's any key support level in line, but rather because we have the short-term oversold reading and also perhaps, as you mentioned, you know, volumes quiet down, there's a little bit less news, a little bit less attention and focus on the tape. Uh, but I think beyond that, we need to assume that volatility is likely to continue to increase. We've seen a lot of that in the volatility index or VIX uh, this month. As you've mentioned, we've seen real downside from the major indices, and that means upside from volatility measures. And the turnaround is very similar to what we saw in our indicators as post the summertime relief rally in the S&P 500. So we had MACDs rolling at that time, while the VIX saw quite the opposite. Mm. The signals that we have that are counter-trend in nature from the DeMarc indicators are really set up very similarly as well. We have a lot of short-term upside sell signals in our bottom upward, meaning looking at individual stocks um, as it pertains to these signs of upside exhaustion. So we suspect that that will give way to increased volatility, but that it might be staved off until the new year and, and somewhat released for this kind of volatility event, which unfortunately is, is probably going to be pretty harrowing, um, you know, in terms of percentages. And yet it also has the potential to give us a major low. And that's what we'll be looking for signs of. Yeah, it's it's funny because it sounds and and while we're talking, Katie, see, go ahead and see if you can figure out the the screen yeah, sharing. Thanks. I know because I know we, we we you know you really want to show us all the different charts, and if not, we'll have to get um, Nick and Brian to see if they can intervene for us. But um, the you know it's interesting because we're facing the situation where um, we it seems like it's been such a difficult year that we always see volumes at this time you know, slow down, uh, people are traveling. I think this year the travel windows kind of extended because of where people are able to work remotely maybe and, and get a jump on it. But it does feel like people are just done. I mean, we've been talking to people who are like, listen, everyone is, everyone's kind of checking out. It's just been such a hard year. It's been such a painful year. So it sounds like the market is still really fragile, but we just may not have enough participants to make a major move. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I'd suspect that. And obviously it's somewhat speculative to say that, right? It, it's just a yeah. sense of what might happen, but the indicators do support it to some degree. So here's your, if you can see the chart now, hopefully. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, the downside momentum you can see in the MACD off to the right, just near current trade. And you can see the active DeMarc signal for those that know it, it's based on that 13. Um, here was our buy signal. Here's our sell signal. That right there creates some risk and just an inherent feel to a, a weakening tape as it takes out the 50-day moving average on the daily SPX chart after mm -hmm. failing yet again, very close to that downtrending 200-day moving average. So that's your downside momentum. But on another view where we have our trusty stochastic oscillator, you can see here, we do have a short-term oversold reading. Um, it, it's not a high conviction one. We don't have an oversold buy signal. 
uh, per se, but we do have an indication that that we could see maybe limited downside. So it's not something that we're going to necessarily reposition around. We still are recommending to our clients to uh, be hedged, uh, you know, to have have some way to be managing risk in this environment of that volatility event, whether that manifests itself here in the next week or two weeks, we, we don't really know, but we suspect it might be coming. And, and with that in mind, we just want to be real careful and cautious and continue to look for those signs of a major low. Mm. Are there any sectors, if we look at it, that where people can hide, I know you sort of track them and you have your underweight, overweight. Is there anything that's looking like a good place to hide out in what looks like it's going to be a pretty painful start to the new year? Yeah, listen, you know, sector relative strength is something we spend a lot of time with. And yeah, we have to remember that we're thinking in relative terms, right? So in a week tape, like let's say we saw the S&P 500 get down to 3,200, which is one of our support levels that we're focused on. Well, no sector will be unturned, I think, by that kind of decline. So I, I would keep that in mind. It's not necessarily a great place to hide. I would I would turn to other asset classes for that purpose. But if you're looking for relative performance, I mean, boy, we have very clean sort of uptrends in a lot of the defensive sectors of the market versus the S&P 500. That includes healthcare, especially consumer staples. We've seen utilities resume their uptrend in relative strength terms, and the energy sector as an side has also maintained its relative strength position. So those are really the sources of relative performance in this kind of environment. If we were to see some kind of oversold bounce, well, that would probably shift very, very uh, sort of temporarily. Mm. Uh, we are looking for downside leadership from the mega cap. So naturally that impacts the technology sector indices the most and secondarily consumer discretionary. And we've seen a real crack in the likes of Apple for one, Tesla, that's not new news. We've seen some major breakdowns in Tesla, but Apple's a pretty new breakdown and obviously a bellwether for the market. So that breakdown in Apple tests is concerning next support residing around 127. Yeah. And Apple important because it's such a widely held stock. And I feel like people have been, it's been comforting to some people when it was holding up, but I've been having a lot of people ask, we get questions on that about, you know, whether that's the next shoe to drop really. Yeah, and if you can see the screen now, this is a long-term, a monthly chart of Apple. And there's a few key takeaways here. So long-term secular bull trend, right? So that's the good news. <laughs> the bad news is that within that context, it looks really very toppy. Uh, the next support is around 127 based on a Fibonacci retracement level that you see drawn on this chart. Uh, but importantly, the indicators that we have here are pointing lower still and, and not even, I guess, converging. They're not showing any kind of positive divergences, which is something that we would say, OK, well, at least it's losing downside momentum. We cannot apply that to Apple. Where we can apply that is to you know, higher growth names that have been trending lower since early 21. Chinese equities, which have been mm -hmm. trending lower for that same time frame. So the, the names that have seen more prolonged downtrends may actually be in the starts of a basing phase process. Uh, but we emphasize the word process because there's often a series of pretty nasty retests as bases are built. So we, and we're already even seeing that in some higher growth names. Yeah. Um, it, it is. And and um, some of the guests that have been on recently have, uh, for, for our regular viewers, are talking about the fact that we do have to think of this as a process because we've kind of gotten used to this 
sharp up, sharp down, very V oriented action. Um, and you know, you can have a painful grind sideways. Brent Donnelly has been making that point, you know, repeatedly. Um, and that's true. We haven't really experienced that. So, you know, I like that idea of thinking of it as a process because it's new for some people. It's a bear market cycle. So I think what we're all accustomed to are corrections and the corrections tend to end in a bit more dramatic fashion where you get like a V bottom. The COVID corrective phase is probably the best example of that. Uh, whereas the bear market cycles do tend to take several months at a minimum to really manifest in a proper turnaround where you can assert these you know, bull market cycle-esque positions. So we think we have a ways to go to that point. Um, and, you know, the benefit of, of having a trading range is that, you know, a short-term oriented trader can certainly take advantage of that. Um, we just have to know when we're in that range and at least migrating out of a downtrend. There are, are great tools like the stochastic oscillator to apply in trading ranges. So there are ways to kind of navigate that type of environment. Um, but obviously, if you're trying to trend follow in that environment, you get into trouble. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, and this is why, uh, you know, in the academy, and and we hear Rao talk about this all the time. Um, charts are important; they have to be an important part of your arsenal, you know, um, along with a lot of other things you look at. But it really can help give you that sense uh, when you're trying to make those decisions. Uh, what about small caps, Katie? What about the Russell? Um, you know, yeah. that a lot of people have said, oh, um, if I see a break in that, that will confirm so and so to me. People do track that. W what is that looking like? Yeah, so I'm going to sh uh, screen share again here. I always look at the Russell 2000 index as my prevailing benchmark for small caps. And if you look at it on the surface, it really looks a lot like the S&P 500. So from a directional perspective, um, I think they'll just move in tandem. So then we always really focus on the relative strength because we have often questions about, well, you know, if, I'm, if I want to add a short or ETF, you know, an inverse ETF, well, you know, should I go to a Russell 2000 version of that or should it be, you know, uh, a NASDAQ 100 version? So we're really focused on relative strength for small caps. But in absolute terms on this weekly chart, you can see that very much like the uh, S&P 500, it's sort of rolled over with an intermediate term overbought downturn on the weekly. And it did so below some resistance in this part uh, or in this chart based on both the weekly cloud, which is this sort of shaded area, and also the loosely the 200-day moving average. And you can see there is still a, an uncomfortable amount of room to this next support here, which is about 1640 for the Russell. So really very similar setup in absolute terms. And then we like to look at the ratio. So this is a ratio of the Russell 2000 index to the S&P 500. And you can say it's really more range bound. So there's not like an exciting emerging trend necessarily here, but you have seen, if you look at this yellow line, the 200 day moving average flatten. So what we have is a range within that range, somewhat oversold, the DeMarc indicators support a relative bounce for small caps, which often happens around this type of time of year because of tax loss selling. 
sort of a relief rally from that phenomenon. And when you get the bounce, um, it looks like it might meet some resistance pretty quickly. So I don't know if it's something that can be leveraged very easily, but I'd align them certainly in terms of directionally, like, you know, the bias in sync. Mm. We have a question uh, from OS24. Any upcoming changes to the composition of TAC? TAC is Katie's ETF. Um, so, I, I mean, all we can talk about is what it's, it's exposed to right now, and it's certainly very relevant to the conversation about the equity market because the equity market having a bearish bias in our opinion and also in our work, of course, the TAC ETF or Fairlead Strategies Tactical Sector ETF, that ETF is a very risk off and it's exposed to asset classes that should do better um, than the S&P 500 in a bear market cycle. That includes short-term treasuries, which is our sort of closest to the cash equivalent, mm. long-term treasuries and gold, and uh, also still has an energy position. Now, if we saw 3,200 from the S&P 500, that might be enough of a drag on the energy sector to lead us to move away from it. We just have to let the indicators on a long-term basis affirm that there's enough of a shift there to the downside to dictate that repositioning. So we have to wait and see the impact on the indicators. As it stands, the corrective phase in the energy sector has been somewhat um, sort of modest, um, not, not in crude oil uh, and certainly not in natural gas, but in the energy stocks, it's been somewhat modest and isn't yet impacting the indicators that are the stuff of the TAC model. Um, but we're very comfortable with our risk off exposure as it stands, um, especially gold. So uh, just fun fact for everyone, Katie is going to be ringing the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange tomorrow uh, around, and is, Thursday, it for, is it for Thursday. TAC? Is that the ETF that you're going to be, uh, is going to be up right. there? So it's this Thursday, so the 22nd. Oh, Thursday. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we're super excited about it. And it, it is for the TAC ETF because it's listed on NYSE ARCA. And so you'll see me up there on the podium. It's like my career bucket list. <laughs> so. Awesome. We're so excited. We're going to be cheering you on when we're Thank watching you, you from home, Katie. That's awesome. Um, so so I uh, wanted to round out equities talking about emerging market equities because you are also watching the charts here. A lot of conversation about emerging markets. I've had uh, many strategists say they like it, but that, but there's not, there's not wholehearted agreement on um, what part of emerging markets? And of course, that's a that's a big category. So tell me what you're seeing in your charts. Yeah. So, I mean, as mentioned with the um, sort of names that had downtrended as of early 21, which includes some areas within emerging markets, those areas are more deeply oversold, but even more important than that, they're all, they've been oversold for a longer duration. So if we look at EEM as the, it's the emerging market I share as, as a benchmark, here's our downtrend. This is a peak as of uh, the February of 21. So the downtrend has given way to a nice relief rally. That could be the start of a, a basing phase. It, it certainly had a, a favorable impact on the intermediate term gauges that we hadn't seen really throughout. Um, so there was a nice positive impact there, but within that context, we're expecting a very sharp retracement. But importantly, if you look at the monthly chart, I mean, there is long-term support here, right? And you can apply this, this same type of uh, level to uh, most China benchmarks. So a lot of, uh, you know, the Shanghai Composite has long-term support. Uh, a lot of these China, FXI, the ETF, et cetera. 
And because that long-term support has given way to a nice relief rally, and with that, an upturn in our monthly gauges, I think that's promising. Am I buying here? No, but I, I do think that we have a potential for this to give way to a period of stabilization that sets the staging ground for the next bull market move in emerging markets. So interesting. I know Ralph's listening to that with uh, a lot of interest. Um, our one of our regular viewers has always got his eyes on emerging markets. Uh, Katie, does that are is that connected um, in terms of when you when you want to take a position or what you'll be looking at? How closely correlated with the U.S. dollar? Because we know that was one of the big stories this year. The bull run of the dollar, dollar wrecking ball raised a lot of concerns about uh, four emerging market regions um, based on the past. Um, they held in pretty well, not all of them, but you know some of the uh, more mature markets in the emerging markets, people were surprised by their resilience. So what what does the direction of the dollar matter to that call? Yeah, I mean, you've definitely seen it influential over the recent, you know, like several weeks or so. Um, and with this corrective phase that you see here in the dollar index, we have seen not only our performance by emerging markets versus U.S., but also by developed global markets versus U.S. And, and I have to say the ratios there, they're getting kind of interesting. Again, I kind of feel like as much as we have like multi-year downtrends still very much in place and intact, the relief rally off of the recent low is such that it's impacting our indicators in a way that we haven't seen in some time. So at a very minimum could suggest that 2023 is a better year in relative strength terms for international markets. And that would maybe suggest that we have a dollar that maybe it's not a downtrending dollar. In fact, I don't have indications of that yet, but one that's moving into maybe a bit more of a range bound type of environment. If you can see the monthly chart here on the dollar index, there is a downturn from overbought territory that hasn't yet impacted our, our long-term momentum gauges in a, in a meaningful way, but it's enough to suggest that perhaps the next relief rally, which we're actually calling for here as the market sees a downdraft, this relief rally might give way to a lower high you know, versus the recent high. And um, I wouldn't be terribly surprised by an environment that doesn't look anything like the last two years, at least for the dollar index, which was of course a very strong uptrend. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, it certainly was. You know, um, the, the the behavior of the dollar, among other things, made it such a difficult year, even for seasoned investors. A lot of people telling us it's one of the toughest they've been through. As we look ahead to 2023 and beyond, many of the guests that we've had on, strategists say that investors really need to draw up a new game plan, right? So in the case of Peter Brandt, we're going to listen to two clips on, on a sort of fundamental view. Uh, in the case of Peter Brandt, that means gold. And for Felix Zoloff, he is bracing for a another round of inflation. Let's hear from both of them. I believe this is going to be more inflation down the road. I think the first inflation wave has peaked. We are in a, a downtrend into probably late 23, the second half. And if the world develops along the lines I expect, then I would expect a second wave of inflation from late 23 into 25 or 26. 
and that will lead to much higher inflation that we have seen. And this is because I expect eventually some sort of calamity uh, in the first part of the of next year of 23, where the central banks will um, will change and will uh, ease. And as they do, the uh, excess liquidity created will flow into all the assets that, that are considered structurally scarce. And the commodities will be at the forefront. And as commodities move higher, I think oil could easily go to um, 150, 200 bucks uh, in 24, uh, 25. And, and if that happens, we will have inflation rates uh, over 10% in all the industrialized uh, countries or in the majority of the industrialized countries. And uh, if that's the case, then we have a problem with the bond market, of course. And uh, we, we know from the 1970s, uh, through which I lived as a young speculator, um, uh, you know, the second wave uh, of inflation is much more brutal for the bond market than the first wave. In the first wave, it is considered transitory, sort of. And only in the second wave, I think the bond market comes to grips and demands a much higher a premium. And, and that's when bond yields really go up uh, a lot and when the bond market is getting destroyed, in a way. You compress price, you compress price, you compress price. It's like pushing a, a ball underwater. At some point, you can't hold it down and it explodes out. And when you have these periods of congestion, you're compressing prices, compressing prices, compressing prices. You're building in macro fundamentals that we may or may not know of. And eventually those become resolved. And that's when all this compression, you know, implode, explodes. And, you know, so you never know where we go to the upside. We may go to four, um, you know, who knows? I mean, beyond that, anyone's guess. Fantastic stuff. Those full interviews are available on our website, and I urge you to check them out. Really interesting conversations. Um, Katie, gold has been coming up an awful lot. What's your outlook for gold? And we actually have a question on that uh, from Lena. Do you have any views on precious metals uh, in the short term and medium term? So I don't know if you're looking at both, but what, what are you seeing? Yeah, we're, we're definitely always looking at multiple time frames. We start long term and kind of drill into the intermediate and short term. And we've been talking a whole lot about precious metals actually in our research internally here. And we feel that they're among the best place to hide. So even more so than an equity market sector, we feel that a gold position is warranted by the fact that not, not only does it outperform typically in weaker tapes like it has done this year, but also on the chart, you can see here that it's come into some long-term support uh, with an oversold upturn. So the indicators have really kind of turned the corner. An oversold upturn of this nature, we're, we are seeing this in the equity market, but those are already downtrending. This is more of a range-bound setup set for gold longer term. And within that context, this holds a bit more conviction. And with gold having had negative momentum or downside momentum, I should say, since the first quarter of 21, just like some other areas of the market that had that same weaker momentum profile, it should have a better opportunity of emerging from it, especially with what we've seen more intermediate and short term in terms of momentum shifts. We've seen gold get through some uh, sort of short-term resistance. I'll show you on the cloud-based chart, which is really very relevant for commodities and FX. Here's your, your downtrend, a several-month downtrend. 
with a, a very clean breakout above the cloud. So that's a, a breakout above a, a potential resistance area. And with that, you see often nice upside follow through. It's struggling a little bit around the 200 day moving average, but we think it'll ultimately push through with next resistance around 1900 per ounce. And again, I would just reiterate in relative strength terms, we're compelled by gold, uh, not just because it, you know, looking at historical data, but just the ratio, the same ratio that we were looking at for small caps. You can see this turnaround. Look at the yellow line in terms of the 200-day moving average and how it's responding to a weaker equity market environment. Yeah. I uh, want to ask about uh, energy, about oil. We heard in the in the clip, Felix throwing some pretty big numbers out there, but it's important um, to point out in case you didn't catch it, uh, for those of you listening, he's talking long-term. His time frame is very long-term. He's talking out to 2024, uh, 2025 for that second wave of inflation that he's looking for. Um, a little bit, pull us in a little bit, Katie. What are you looking for as we turn the year? Because, you know, we saw the big commodity move and then we saw energy, we saw oil at least come off, I think 30% from six months ago from that early summer peak. So what are you looking at there? Yeah, I mean, it's a tougher chart to understand um, because we had this kind of, you know, wacky move into negative territory that does um, impact our support levels in a way that I feel like it makes them a little bit less reliable. But we're watching, this is a monthly version. So we're watching these sort of former or former resistance areas as potential support. And you have them both in sort of the high 60s and around $70 per barrel. So there is good long-term support following several months of downside, essentially, for crude oil prices. And with this downdraft, you're getting close to an oversold condition, probably about three months away from any kind of major DeMarc signal indicating a turnaround. We've been of sort of the belief that perhaps the uptrend that we've seen has given way to a, a wide trading range. Mm. And within that wide trading range, we can expect a lot of intermediate term volatility. We think the next like big volatile move will be to the upside for crude oil. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the 150 to 200 range, as mentioned. That seems aggressive, at least based on what we know at this time. Uh, but on the charts, there's some resistance in the mid-90s uh, that would be perhaps targeted by the anticipated improvement in our metrics. And I want to wrap it up with Treasury yields. Uh, bonds were a real pain point this year. What are you expecting for Treasuries? Yeah, for the Treasury yields, I mean, we have obviously seen an uptrend emerge over the past couple of years, and we believe that uptrend still very much has its hold on yields, and you can see it on this uh, monthly chart as well. Here's the MACD indicator, trend falling gauge, still pointing higher, supporting this uptrend. Uh, you know, the, the recent breakout that we saw above about four, four and a quarter, that to us was a significant breakout because it yields a, an objective, an upside objective of about five and a quarter. Uh, my macro friends think I'm crazy to say that, but I really believe that treasury yields have gone through a secular shift. We had, as a special guest on one of our sort of webinars, we had Luis Yamada, who is legendary as a technical analyst, one of my um, sort of influential technicians. And she has called for the same, so a secular shift, and she's been known for these major long-term calls. Um, mm. So I think we've advanced from this sort of multi-decade downtrend channel. It doesn't mean we won't see yields at times, maybe even a year, year and a half at a time, 
trending lower within that context, but I think we can expect higher lows. So I think we have to change our paradigm a little bit with the shift that we've seen in uh, that downtrend moving to now what we think is an uptrend. And five and a quarter to us is very realistic for sometime later next year, perhaps, um, in terms of the trajectory of the current trend. If it changes, we'll change with it, but for now it's still supported by long-term momentum. Wow, that's fascinating. So higher treasury yields is a reality we're going to have to to get used to. We're not going to see that, you know, that return. Uh, equities d- definitely sound like tough sledding. I think you sound most negative about that asset class. Um, although healthcare, um, utilities, and staples outperform, dollar and oil seem like they're in a trading range. And the biggest takeaway for me is gold. Seems like it's the best place to hide. That seems like what you're most convicted about. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, we just need to find places that that have historically outperformed until we feel conviction in the fact that the market's done going down. So not to oversimplify it, but that's truly what we're looking for. And, you know, for now, we're, we're trying to find anything that has that relative strength and that's differentiated in the way it sets up. We have a, a really top-down oriented equity market, of course. There's, It's really very difficult to find anything that doesn't have similar characteristics, technically yeah. speaking, to the S&P 500. So in our sort of constant search for anything that's differentiated, uh, we can certainly find that in precious metals. Yeah, that's a great point, Katie. Um, make sure that your diversification is real, not false diversification. It's something we've been talking about a lot because um, a lot of people look at it and they think because they have different assets that that they are diversified. But if they're all affected by the same trade, it's going to be tough. Um, all right, strap in. Sounds like 2023 is going to be uh, going to be a tough one. But so happy to have you with us today, Katie, to help guide us through a little bit of it. Of course, Maggie. Happy holidays. Yeah, same to you. Happy holidays. Thanks to all of you for watching. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow with Dale Pinkert. Until then, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.